Okay, hi, uh, <laughs> to the world, uh, hi to my friends and my family who I hope are listening to this because you support me and you love me and you love hearing me talk. Um, yeah, this is, uh, my podcast, which at the moment doesn't have a name, but I'm working on it. Uh, my name is Jenna. I am in my real life, a licensed therapist. Um, but mostly I'm just like a person who likes talking about mental health and therapy and therapy adjacent things and has a lot of really smart, really fun people that I want to talk to about that. Um, so speaking of really smart, really fun people that I want to talk to about that, I have one on my couch. Her name is Rachel. Hi, (laughs) I'm Rachel. I'm a therapist. I'm Jenna's colleague, friend, soul sister. We share the same birthday. It's like we're just meant to be. That's true. <laughs> I'm so sorry that in the middle of your introduction, I just like slurped my teeth. No, you, you should. That, that no, mug is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I painted it. Um, it's my ghost mug. Um, yeah, Rachel is all of those things. It's true. And we're going to discuss, we're going to talk about um, just like the evolution of mental health diagnoses. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, man. Well, for, okay. Let me, let me ask you. So I basically, my like MO here has been like, yo, Rachel, yo, my people, I'm starting a podcast. I want you to be on it to talk about something that is again, like mental health or therapy adjacent that means something to you. And then I'm basically said to you, like, what do you want to talk about? And you said evolution of mental health diagnoses. I did. What was your, where'd that come? Where's your heart in? Where's your heart at? I think what was your experience? What my experience and <clears throat> my heart is saying is that working in this field, oftentimes we have clients that come to us with, you know, at times like five or more mental health diagnoses and what does that look for them in their life, their experience, how they choose to live their life accordingly. Um, what does it mean for service providers, doctors, anyone in their life that is important to them? How is it relevant? How is it not relevant? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like we've talked about this, like, a lot in our friendship. Just, like, about, like, it's so, like... I don't know, like, the sensationalized... Sensationalization? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm sensationalism yes the sensation of um like mental health diagnoses and like having so many it's like such a tricky topic um especially as like again the sensationalism or whatever word there is there is really tough i think because i live in this world of like oh hell yeah talk more about mental health oh hell yeah get diagnosed oh hell yeah take the stigma away Mm -hmm. and then i live in this world of like Okay, well, now we have five or more mental health diagnoses that, while there are co-occurring diagnoses, are these them? Mm-hmm. Are these the ones? And, like, how does it, like, yeah, how does it impact service providers? How does it impact the person struggling with these symptoms? And, like, people that love that, like, there's just so much that is both positive and negative about diagnoses in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of 
yeah, like I think you and I have spoken a lot about like there's some providers out there that just say like, oh no, a diagnosis is just for insurance reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I subscribe to that right. belief. Well, and I think you're right because in the sense of like not subscribing to that because, you know, I think this thought happened because, you know, especially in my new role when I'm seeing eight or nine clients a day and I say, tell me about your previous mental health experience, um, any, and I've kind of started phrasing it like this, not that, not in a way to take away from it but like what have what have doctors told you that you have what are your di- your mental health diagnoses and i think that you know i many times have clients that list so many that at that sometimes i'm kind of taken aback mm-hmm. and i'm like well how is this impacting their everyday life when this person is maybe dating or has a friendship and they're like, tell me about yourself. And we don't want them to stigmatize themselves with their mental health diagnoses. But, you know, the other side of that is like, sure, sure, sure. You know, I like this. I like these movies. I like to read. I struggle with anxiety, depression, PTSD, ADHD, um, so on and so forth. And I just wonder if at various times in people's lives they're given a new one, does it take away from the autonomous nature that they want to live their life? Mm-hmm. I, that's, like, a good point. And I think, like, that's, like, what I... The autonomous nature of how they want to live their life, where, like, it becomes very... I think of, like, the clients that I've seen and also like the diagnoses that I've had where like I've been in therapy for a very long time. I've seen a handful of therapists. They don't share charts by any means. Mm -hmm. And so when I go to therapist number one, when I'm 15 and he diagnoses me with social anxiety, Mm -hmm. sick, I have social anxiety. And then he says like, oh, with a little depression flavor in there, but Mm -hmm. like, we're not so sure. And now I'm like, I'm 26 now. So it's been 11 years. And we're pretty sure depression is not a flavor, Mm -hmm. but we've gone through this, like, then I went to therapist number two and she diagnosed me with bipolar one. And I was like, okay, so I, I'm now 17, 18 years old, not, and I try not to diagnose myself. I also don't have the skills, even if I wanted to yada, yada, yada. Do I have anxiety, depression and bipolar one? I guess so. And then she Mm -hmm. says, oh, and also PTSD. And I say, okay, there's four. And then I ghost her because that's what I do. Hat. Uh, <laughs> and then I start seeing ther- therapist number three and he diagnoses me. And like, again, like, it's not like he was like any of them were none of them to my knowledge or in my like memory were like, oh, you have these four. You also have this. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know that I had already had the four prior because charts weren't being shared. I wasn't in community mental health. I was mm-hmm. seeing therapists all over the state. And so th- therapist number three diagnosed me with one other thing. And I was like, okay, so there's num- there's five diagnoses right there. Then by now I'm on therapist seven or eight. And if I were to hold on to all of the diagnoses I've ever been given, I think I'd be on like diagnosis eight or nine, mm-hmm. like where we've kind of like tried a lot on for size and then kind of like, really truly the only reason I know like oh no I can let go of this that and the other because they like this one 
that my most recent therapist has given me kind of encompasses one, two, and three. So I can let right. go of this, 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 mm-hmm. but I only know that because I studied it. I mm-hmm. only know that because I read the DSM for a living, like right. as a regular quote unquote regular person or like just a client, I would still be in a case of like, okay, so nice to meet you, Rachel. My name's Jenna and I have anxiety, depression, bipolar one, bipolar two somehow, mm-hmm. um, right. PTSD, the list just goes on mm-hmm. and that's me. And I am, I am basically a walking DSM at this point. Mm-hmm. Here yeah. I am. Absolutely. And like, even if we, or even if clients, you know, wanted all of their therapists to talk to the other therapists, they do a release of information, like that's all wonderful. Coordination of care is super important, but that would still, the the fact would still remain the same that across the state, these diagnoses were given, charted, billed, mm-hmm. and attached to that person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to your point, like, let's say you have anxiety, depression, PTSD, and then you go to therapist eight, you can't sleep. So they diagnose you with insomnia. Mm-hmm. Well, that could be a symptom of the anxiety, depression, PTSD. And like, obviously there's criteria to meet for the insomnia diagnosis, but it just goes into that. Like sometimes diagnoses are interwoven and if we're just giving them to bill and to chart to claim medical necessity that m- we have to do, there's this side effect of the client being like, now I have insomnia and, and it's, you know, how are the more diagnoses not the better. Yeah. It makes me think of like, okay. Okay. It makes me think of a handful of things and I'm sure I'm going to lose my train of thought here somewhere, which might have to do with one of my diagnoses, (laughs) Uh, but like, well, it makes me think of like, okay, the, I always ask a lot of the work I do. I ask clients or I ask my people like, or I think to myself, like what cognition is that? Like, Mm -hmm. like what is the cognition associated with that? And I think like, for me, the cognition associated with like, Oh, here's all 10 of your diagnoses was like, okay, so I'm a broken person. Like Mm -hmm. I am sure you can treat the anxiety, but then the depression will rear its ugly head. Mm -hmm. And then you can treat that. But then I have bipolar one and two. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like felt, I was so young. And so like, Oh, great. I'm, I'm capital D damaged. Like, Mm -hmm. And that's, like, the cognition I got. And I also think that, like, we've seen, I mean, like, a handful of things happen where, like, these, quote-unquote, like, overdiagnoses happen where it's, like, brokenness, I'm so broken, and, like, what hope does the client have at that mm-hmm. point? And also, how do I say this? I want to, like, be, I want to be careful when I say, like, there's some amount of, like, what, like, you said autonomy, and I want to say, like, well, then you just don't have a choice in, like, mm-hmm. healing. Like, mm-hmm. you, I don't want to say, like, clients make excuses. Like, oh, I can't get better. I can't act better. I can't make better decisions because I have all of these mm-hmm. things in my back pocket. It's not an excuse because I don't like that word in general, but it is, like, a – I can't get better. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm broken and also, like, this is just who I am and mm-hmm. this is it. Like, this is the end of the story for me and – there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess is what like yeah comes to mind. I'm I'm thinking like in my head I kind of got this like upside down safety net because like if the mental health diagnoses are a safety net because we can meet causing correlation causing causation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it's like okay, maybe the way I react with my partner is the result of having PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. That would allow the client and the partner to have a platform to work through and understand it a little more, but that and you're right, it is kind of like we we're not trying to say we blame our actions on our mental health diagnoses, but like I guess we're just talking through like where that line is. Yeah, sure. I yeah, there I think there is like a line and it does like again, like it takes away a lot of autonomy from the client where it's just like, oh my God, I have all these things. There is no such thing as because the fact is what we know as practitioners is no, there's no way you have but all of the above. Like they cancel each other out at some point. Right. It is medically impo- like clinically does not work. Mm-hmm. The client doesn't know that. But what the client can like internalize is, oh, my therapy is going to cancel itself out at some point. Like, okay, like at some point the interventions used, maybe not cancel each other out, but like we hit a cap. And mm-hmm. so like the client internalizes that like I can get all of these diagnoses thrown at me. I can get all of these interventions thrown at me. But at some point there's nothing left for me there. Right. And at some point this is just like me mm-hmm. and this is just my identity and – I think about, like, I, I'm just going to use the word, like, overdiagnosed. I don't know that it's, like, a clinical term or, like, even, like, an appropriate term. But um, I think of those, like, when people have come in and been, like, okay, and here's my mental, my list of my list of mental health diagnoses. And it just feels so, like, A, I can tell that they're just, like, used to all the time being, like, and this, this, this is me. And it's so, like, disheartening because I'm, like, okay, but... <laughs> Like, A, this isn't, like, what do you like to do? Do mm-hmm. you have, like, like you said, like, when they go on dates and it's, like, it feels like this necessary, like, I'm so, I'm so mentally ill, I have to tell people pretty mm-hmm. right out the gate. Because, like, the only thing you can believe when you have that many diagnoses is that you need to inform, like, it's, like, a consent thing. I need to inform people mm-hmm. before they get into something with me because it's not like I just have anxiety and I can let them know on date number three I have anxiety and X, Y, and Z. I need to let them know right now because mm-hmm. that's how fucked up I am. Mm-hmm. Which is clearly not, like, true. Like, not how we want to view ourselves and others. Not at all. And I think what you said was, you know, when we meet with our clients through assessment and we hear that list more times than not, at least for me these days, and I'm sure for you in your practice, um, there's almost, like, not this like a, like a look or just mm-hmm. like not jadedness is not the word I want to use, but like this, uh, you're right. Just like reading off this list. You can like physically see like, and now it's time to rattle off the right. diagnoses. Right. And I think like when I thought of, or like we kind of like workshop this idea of evolution of mental health diagnoses, it's like that reminded me of like how important age 
comes into play and a lot of people, um, especially at least, you know, the clients that I've worked with in our pop- my population, like a lot of times we're not seeing them for the first time. We might be seeing um, them over the course of 10 years. And if a client comes to our agency at age 16, 17, and then 10 years later, um, you know, we're still receiving, they're still receiving services. Of course, like things are going to change in a decade. And I noticed, I think it was like last week I was, um, brushing up on the caseload for the day. And I had noticed that a client had started receiving services at age like 16 and their paperwork, um, for their referral documents and assessments was it like, it changed over time, mm-hmm. um, to when we were seeing them that day. And there was a lot of things that came into play. They started using substances, their diagnoses changed and evolved from their use. So like, I just, I just noticed this yeah, like evolution and, yeah. and change. Yeah, and I think like yeah, like it changes and like when when you're talking, I think about like we know we're in an I think for the most part we're in an era where we know do not throw medication at people. Mm-hmm. Do not medicate somebody for anxiety and depression and this and that and this and that if you can throw it all into one or two pills a day or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Because I think that we know that well, that's a whole different topic of like medicating, but like we're in a place of like medication is a little bit more tangible. And it makes me think of like, but we don't seem to have a problem throwing diagnoses at people. And we don't Mm -hmm. seem to have a problem throwing like talk therapy and treatment interventions at people where like, I think there's definitely like, we've talked about this too, of like, there's definitely been times where I'm like, oh, hell yeah, do groups, do talk therapy, do EMDR. There's three interventions right there. Sure. And there's also been times where I'm like, absolutely not. The answer is not always more treatment. Sure. The answer is not always more diagnoses. The answer is not always like, and I don't know that the answer is ever more diagnoses. Um, but it's just like an interesting thing that like you and I have talked about quite a bit of like these things, like why does it feel so comfortable for maybe practitioners or whoever it might be to say like, let's just tack on another another mm-hmm. F4, F14 yep. point, whatever, like, yeah. whatever the ICD is. Like, right. Why? Because it feels like a C, it feels like a CYA thing almost, like a cover your ass thing for yeah. us. And also it feels like for some reason, like we're personally like, I need mm-hmm. to diagnose this person with one more accurate thing, which like, I don't even know, like to me, I, I don't care what your diagnoses are. I care what your symptoms are. Sure. And, like, sure, they fall into a diagnosis that I can bill insurance for. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's also this thing of, like, somebody's going to meet criteria A through H of PTSD and then criteria B and C of anxiety. Do I need to write a whole drop down of, like, Mm -hmm. they have anxiety and PTSD? Exactly. Maybe I can just say they have PTSD and is that good enough? Yeah. And it's not like... I mean, like, we're in our culture right now and it's super powerful that um you know we're not stigmatizing mental health or 
the efforts to not stigmatize are so elevated right now. Um, but then it kind of swings to the other end of the pendulum where there's so much, there's a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, ownership mm-hmm. of mental health diagnoses. And that's wonderful. You know, we're not, yeah. We're, yeah like, like, how can I take care of myself? Sure. But it's just that, that line where like, mm-hmm. then does our client, where do they find balance with what service providers have told them and how they're living their life based on diagnostic criteria for insurance? Like mm-hmm. if the client knows they have PTSD, they're not really understanding their um, dissociation, their flashbacks, nightmares, they're unable to drive, things like that. Having that diagnosis would be helpful. There's treatment-specific interventions for PTSD that, you know, might not fit for depression exclusively. Yeah. So that can be helpful. But then, you know, 10 years later, if this client is symptom-free, how does that diagnosis fit in their life? Is it, is it... Like, is it time to, when they see their new doctor, their new PCP, is it, I have PTSD? Right. And, and how does that follow them? That's a good, like, that's a really good point of, like, it makes me think of, like, the difference between mental health and substance use diagnoses, where, like, do you say, because we, we say, like, mental health diagnoses are not curable, they're treatable, they're, you can manage the symptoms, but, like, I don't ever expect you to, quote, unquote, get over the trauma, or I don't ever expect you to you know, have healed your depression or whatever it might be. And also, like, what, do you go to your doctor and say, I have PTSD in remission? Like, that sounds so, like, that's not even in the, like, book. Right. But, you know, what is in the book is substance use disorder, quote, comma, severe, comma, yep, in remission. Absolutely. Which, again, like, that's another topic entirely about like how we view the two differently even though they fall in the same umbrella absolutely um but it like yeah like do you go to your doctor 10 years later and say like hi nice to meet you i have ptsd especially like in healthcare where it's like i have definitely like i was medicated for anxiety long after i had figured out that like i have anxiety do i need to be medicated for it absolutely fucking not and it was a matter of like i was treated for anxiety with a talk therapist when i was 15 when I was 17, I was re-diagnosed with something different. Yada, yada, like, we know the story already. We have gotten to a point where at 24, I went to a PCP for, like, a regular thing. My first time ever and was like, oh, shit, I should probably establish care. was like, nice to meet you. Here's my mental health diagnoses. And, like, she was just, like, nice. And she was doing her job within her parameters. And all of a sudden, I was on... Um, Lexapro and I hated it and was like whoa 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 but it's because I didn't say I have anxiety in remission or like but it's managed I just said like I have anxiety and she was like well then here you go and Mm -hmm. that was just like because I didn't tell the whole narrative of like well but I was treated with this intervention and then we talked about this and I take a walk when I really feel like you know like (laughs) because I went to a doctor and said this is my diagnosis I was then thrown a medication but then I was like on the medication and I had the cognition again of like, 
well, shit, I thought I had this handled, but this doctor who I trust gave me Lexapro. And now am I that, like, unable to function with my anxiety that Mm -hmm. she... And, like, now I can zoom out and say, like, no, she just heard anxiety, heard solution. Like, that was it. Uh But at the time, I was so anxious about, like, oh, my God, I really haven't managed my anxiety. It really isn't better. So much so that my doctor saw it on visit one and was like, here's Mm -hmm. your prescription, girlfriend. And I think, I mean, we're in the position that we are mental health professionals with mental health diagnoses. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we take a step back from that and think about like our clients, right? Who, I mean, you were going to a doctor, you reported your history, they gave you a medicine and as their client, you trusted that. Yeah. And that would be the same for our clients. Mm -hmm. If we say you have anxiety, you have ADHD, like they trust us as the professionals. And, you know, again, going back to that, like that can be extremely powerful for their lives, their healing, understanding, whatever that looks like. But yeah, where does There's it like line? Where, where's, do, where's that area? line? Yeah. Um, like you said, which I think I'm going to steal. Like, I steal love it. the color gray. It's <laughs> so good. Um, well, and like, I think also about like, you know, I think we need to be super intentional as practitioners when we diagnose out loud. We're like, yeah, I have to diagnose. And I, I think that I typically tell clients like I'm going to diagnose for insurance and I'm not diagnosing you. That doesn't help me in my treatment approach necessarily. It helps me maybe treatment plan. It helps Mm -hmm. me like workshop ideas, get creative. But like, I don't say like, there is not a part of me that's like client diagnosed with PTSD, treatment approach, blah, blah. Like, I just don't like, Mm -hmm. I treat symptoms, not diagnoses. And like, I think we have to be really intentional where like, it's like understanding that each diagnosis has like a cluster of symptoms where like, Mm -hmm. You just because you have PTSD doesn't mean you have to have nightmares. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. And it's so hard when like you get just like a diagnosis thrown at you and you're like, oh my god, I have borderline is a great example. I have borderline personality disorder. Oh shit, let me Google it. You go and Google it. Yep. Google is like that means you're aggressive, and you're like, yep. oh my god, I'm aggressive now. It doesn't have to mean you're aggressive, but like yep. all you have is title, and then you go home and you get to write the body yourself. And, yeah. Like, not, I think, again, like, we have to be super careful as practitioners being like, hey, you, I am diagnosing you with this, and this is why. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm not necessarily saying that, like, because you have this diagnosis, you have to have all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just tricky. And then, I mean, I wonder if maybe it's like, let's say I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder at the age of... 18. Mm-hmm. Let's say I get treatment. I go to individual therapy. I am on, and for example, Paxil, an SSRI. 10 years later, we're feeling, we're feeling good. We're still kind of cognizant about it, but we make the decision with my their service provider, their psychiatrist, their primary care, whoever that might be, to taper off. And then five years later, life happens. There's, you know, a number of stressors that come up. 
we're not getting sleep, we're not eating, whatever the case may be. And we're back at the doctor with anxiety symptoms. You know, I think that maybe like, is that the time where we're like, hey, I have a history Mm -hmm. of a previously diagnosed general anxiety disorder. Like, like maybe that's how a client can reestablish their diagnoses for themselves and how that shows up for them in their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of sounds like I'm saying like pick a flavor, leave a flavor. But like what I mean is like that evolution piece, Mm -hmm. like, like truly like, I think it's important for us to have like clients and like, I mean, just people to have like control of their diagnoses and like how it is shared and like understand that like, I think you're, I, I hear you. Like, you do get to kind of pick a flavor because if you're not experiencing symptoms of something, mm-hmm. I would not go to my therapist and be like, oh, yeah, I have bad knees. Like, <laughs> unless it's going to impact, like, how she treats me. Like, sure. we don't, and that's, like, different. But, like, you know, I, we don't have to hold on to these things for our whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to go, like, my doctor will know probably most things that have happened to me throughout my life medically within my body. Mm -hmm. Will my doctor know that I had a really bad tummy ache when I was eight years old? No. Will my doctor need to know that I was diagnosed with anxiety at 15 years old? Not until it's like, Oh, by the way, like my doctor's not going to need to know about my really bad tummy ache until I'm like, Oh, by the way, I've had tummy issues and here's another tummy issue girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, and it becomes tricky with, like, mental health diagnoses because, like, it isn't just, oh, I feel anxious again. I should let her know I was anxious five years ago. Because then we have, like, the the bits about, like, psychotic spectrum disorders. And, like, it's probably good for doctors to be well aware of, oh, I have a history of dot, dot, dot. Right. But, like, where, again, like, do clients not get the opportunity and decision making to say oh this is not relevant to me right now and Mm -hmm. I don't want somebody else to decide that it is relevant to me right and that's like what I think like with my anxiety diagnosis and medication that's what I how I felt was like oh I felt fine I felt super un un anxietyed other than like all the time Mm -hmm. I'm always anxious but I wasn't like not functioning Mm -hmm. and because I didn't word it correctly I feel like what my doc like I felt like my doctor heard like oh I'm not functioning I'm not well and I did not have power to say like oh no I don't want treatment Mm -hmm. this is not something that's bothering me like she had kind of unintentionally decided like this is a problem when I was like no it's not like I'm good I'm chilling it isn't a problem for me but like I was basically informed of like oh we need to get rid of this Mm -hmm. and I was like I don't want to I'm good and I think like to your point like When it comes to medical doctors or even, like, mental health professionals, like, we all know and are familiar with paperwork that comes when we're seeing providers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, those questionnaires do serve a purpose because, you know, if someone, and especially, like, when we're gauging, like, suicidality, knowing if they have a history of mental health disorders, specifically, like, depression is useful but like what if we just like left it at at the 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 check yes box yeah you know what i mean like what if we acknowledge the history because it is important for coordinating Mm -hmm. care but like 
the doctor doesn't need to list in their medical chart anxiety disorder, depression disorder, you know, all these things. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. Like, do we, like, what if we just left it at, I think that has to do with trusting clients. Like, yeah. hey, I hear that you were depressed. I hear that you have a history of, let me know. Yeah. Keep me posted if that comes up again. Keep me posted if there's a reason for me to put it in a chart, like, mm-hmm. other than for insurance billing. But, like, let's all be real honest. Insurance insurance needs the current diagnosis. Yeah. There does not need to be, oh, like, and I, like, as a practitioner, if a client comes to me and is like, so I have anxiety symptoms right now, mm-hmm. I'm going to put in generalized anxiety, like, then I'll, whatever. And then if they're like, oh, and I have a history of, a history of, a history of, I'm not going to be like, oh, and also let me, let me bill your insurance for PTSD. Exactly. For depressive. Yeah. Like, I'm going to bill your insurance for what we're treating in this moment. If at a yeah. point I'm like, oh shit, you're like, this is popping up again for you. Then maybe we'll workshop mm-hmm. it and we'll be like, hey, heads up insurance, heads up treatment plan. We're adding some, we're adding something here. Mm-hmm. But that I think is much more collaborative with the client that you can be like, hey, it seems like there's another symptom happening here. And I think again, like, to the very, very beginning is like letting clients know that they can let go of the one before that. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm like finding out that I, when I was diagnosed bipolar one, I was fully under the imp- impression that I also had anxiety and depression. Right. And then when I was diagnosed with uh, something else, like, it's just like, and then I was diagnosed with the next therapist with bipolar two. And I like just did not have the education to be like, drop those other ones and at this point I've dropped them all Mm. besides anxiety but like because I've like workshopped it enough with my therapist to be like oh no 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 this is actually what was going on and it was just like the easy diagnosis of the not easy diagnosis but it was just the diagnosis of the day yeah and I like hated living in a world where I was like I got both bipolars as if that's like possible right (laughs) like I've got it all um, just not knowing, just not like knowing that, oh, you can let go of one of those and not carry 15 diagnoses with you everywhere you go. Um, yeah, that's basically what I think about it. <laughs> um, so what do you think? I have a couple questions for you. What do you think, like when it comes to diagnosing, what's your like, thesis statement of like, or just general thoughts on like diagnosing and the purpose of diagnosing. And is it a positive experience? Like what is, do you know what I mean? What's the purpose of, and I'm not like the purpose of like, Oh, for intern, but like, what is the purpose as a, like therapeutically? Mm-hmm. I think to allow the client to really participate in the therapeutic process Cause if we're let like, let's say that we do an assessment and they fit the diagnostic criteria for major depression, major depressive disorder, and we keep that to ourselves. And then we're, you know, using the theoretical approach that is the gold standard for major depressive disorder, but also that we have skill and use ourselves um 
is it in line with their symptoms? Like, do the interventions, are they evidence-based? Are we conducting therapy in a way that is useful to the clients? But I think, like, more than that, just, like, if we know we are practicing interventions for a reason and... Like, what if the client's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And we're just like, oh, you have... By the way. By the way, I feel like that could be... The client would feel like maybe they were left in the dark. Mm-hmm. Like, um... Especially for some of those, like, quote-unquote big diagnoses where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, by the way, I diagnosed you with a personality disorder. Or, right. by the way, I diagnosed you with a mood disorder and you're just like... You know, I think that most people at this point have kind of diagnosed themselves with anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. but to be found out that like, oh, you mean you've been treating me for one of those? Right. This whole time? Yeah. Cool. And it really, I think like the biggest, the biggest motivator for at least myself would be really just like bringing in the client and like having a productive course of therapy together. I I just think it's really Mm -hmm. powerful when the client can have insight and feel power in, in that change. No, I agree. And I think like that doesn't always happen, but like that's, that would be, that's really special for me to watch. Yeah. Well, I think like, yeah, I think about one of my, one of the things that we say as therapists a lot or things that I hear that I find really powerful in terms of like approaches is when you say like, okay, like I want you to become the expert on yourself. Like Mm -hmm. I want the client to like, I'm trying to teach you how to do this yourself so that you don't need me anymore. I'm trying to give you the tools to treat your own symptoms. Mm -hmm. I feel like in order to be able to fully do that, they need to know the symptoms and yeah. need to know exactly what it is that I'm teaching you how to treat. Like I am trying to, you know, I think like the way that it's been kind of like framed to me, that's not where you belong. The cats are right. Oh, sorry, <laughs> spaghetti. Cats are prepared to be on a podcast. Yeah, they are. They have lots of thoughts about mental health. Um, <laughs> they all have been overdiagnosed by me and I won't even lie about that. <laughs> Um, I have been trying to figure out what's going on with these cats for a full seven years <laughs> and I've got it pretty down pat, but it's, um, controversial. Uh, um, what was I saying? I, uh, yeah, I think like the way that it's been framed to me is like, oh, my, my job is to teach you to have, how to be your own therapist. Well, how can you do that entirely without knowing what you're therapizing? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and then there's like the flip side of, again, like having to be really intentional about the purpose behind that and not just being like, by the way, you've got this. And then sending them out to like Google that and diagnose themselves and go look it up on all platforms Mm -hmm. and develop a narrative about themselves that may or may not be accurate. And I think like having a conversation with a client, like, you know, at onset of therapy, we talk about kind of what it would look like when when therapy is over, mm-hmm. right? Like, what does termination look like? And when you hear termination, that sounds scary, but all we mean is, you know, 
how do we know and you know that you're ready to spread your wings and fly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the goals of treatment have been met. And, I mean, maybe there's a conversation about, like, we have unearthed that your symptoms display of that general anxiety disorder. Um, you know, and just being candid, like you might have symptoms, like there is no blanket mental health diagnoses that will look the same for everyone. Yes. And I think really what I'm kind of trying to spit out is (laughs) like having an open conversation of your symptoms might be ongoing. They might you might have phases, they might present at times during stress. I don't know what it looks like, but just, you know, starting that dialogue to have them understand that what those expectations, the expectations they would have of that diagnosis, and also that it might not look the same as their life progresses. Sure. I think that, like, yeah, it makes me... Like, when you say that there's not a blanket diagnosis or a blanket statement of, like, how mental health diagnoses are going to affect everybody, it makes me think of, like, I, of course, believe that everybody should go to therapy. Everybody. There's not a person I don't believe shouldn't be in therapy. And also, it's, like, this thing of, like, there's, like, some community to, to be had in terms of, like, oh, my God, we both have blah, blah, blah. Like, and I see it all the time. Like, I think we all see it all the time on social media. Like, oh my God, hashtag BPD, right? And like, that's super powerful. Uh And also it's that same thing of like, my, like one hallmark of a diagnosis might be that you love the color purple. That doesn't mean that when you next meet somebody that loves the color purple, they have that diagnosis, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and that becomes really difficult to like, kind of siphon out where like you're telling the client like hey you have purple disorder and they're like oh my god does that mean I love the color purple and you're like well not for you but for the next guy yes and Mm -hmm. that becomes very confusing if you don't have that conversation candidly where like you're like you have purple disorder and they're like I love the color purple now I guess according to my therapist right I'm gonna go talk to all these other people who have purple disorder and find out that like what like not everybody who has attachment wounds has this not everybody who has trauma that's a tough one um, but like not everybody who has trauma has anxiety yeah right yeah like, absolutely um and there it's like this it's that thing of like but there definitely are people who have purple disorder who like the color purple mm-hmm. um and it makes me like i guess my next question like so there's like benefits in diagnosing if it's like collaborative with the client to give them power to understand what is going on. And I think that's so true. Like it helps me to know, like, I, I mean, like really, truly one of my best tools as a like per- mentally ill person is that I can say like, Oh, that's my little flavor coming out mm-hmm. right now. And I can see it in real time. Like, okay, this is not my like core self. This is like my little silly little, yep. My little guy. Yep. Um, and that's really powerful. Then the second question is, like, and I think we've already kind of covered this, but thesis statement, what are the harms of diagnoses? Mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, that kind of 
when you said that, it kind of made me think back to, like, my own experience in that, like, when, I mean, for, for example, I worked at a place for, like, eight years, and for four of those years, they knew me to have ADHD, and it wasn't until, you know, I made a lot of life choices and like with the medication I was taking and then deciding not to take it and, and really, really like stabilizing. Um, and after that, you know, I had told them about this time that a doctor told me, I mean, like 15 years ago that I might have autism spectrum disorder and how I kind of kept it to myself. I didn't really know what to make of that and how I had asked them what the treatment for that was. And he had essentially said it's, you know, kind of learning tools and skill building and, you know, doing what you're doing with seeing a therapist and medication management. But I'll never forget, like, when I had told them that information, this was when, like, ASD was kind of really coming to the surface, so to speak. They just were like, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, there was almost like this level of them seeing me, even if that, you know, isn't necessarily the case. But like they, I think what they took away from that, or what I took away from that was that they knew there was more to me, that they were better at understanding. Yeah. And that message to me was powerful, not whether I had ASD or not. Yeah, for sure. I think I remember a time with you when we were, like, first in the beginning of our friendship that I'm not going to get, like, the story around it, right? So please, like, fill in the blanks as needed. But I remember you were talking about, and also, like, if you want me to not talk about your mental health, uh, tell me to shut up. Go for it. That's kind of what I But I remember, like, you were saying, like, Something along the lines of, like, you had found out, like, you had a new diagnosis or, like, a resurfaced diagnosis or, like, a diagnosis that you were not aware of, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you went to your therapist and essentially were, like, so now what do we do? Now that I have this newfound little Mm -hmm. flavor. And your therapist was essentially, like, nothing. We're already treating it by treating this other thing that we're treating. Like, we're already there. Mm -hmm. There is nothing to do because... Like, that, something like that was kind of the story. Yeah. And I remember thinking about that, like, oh, yeah. If you're treating whatever you're treating, you're probably treating the other ones, too. You don't need to be like, oh, shit, and now I have this other diagnosis, Mm -hmm. so, well, let me know when we're done with depression so we can move on to the next (laughs) one. Like, no, like, if you're you're being treated, you're probably being treated. Mm -hmm. There does not need to be a matter of, like, this lifelong... I mean, I think that therapy is lifelong and healing is lifelong, but there mm-hmm. doesn't need to be this ongoing and now on to the next fix. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit, I broke my ankle as I was treating my leg. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Um, and I remember you telling me that and that being like, I think pretty powerful for my journey as like a therapist to be like, oh yeah. Even if a client shows up and I'm like, oh, there's another little, little flavor going on mm-hmm. that we weren't aware of. We're probably already treating it. And as a, client, I can realize like, uh oh, I'm, I'm realizing I have another flavor. And then I think to myself, like, 
I go to therapy. Mm-hmm. There's the answer. Mm-hmm. I'm good. There does not need to be like, well, now what? What's the next approach? And I mean, what am I about? I'm about to say, I think will sound very unskilled and not accurate, but like, I'm just going to say it anyways. So like, we'll see where this river leads. But like, if our client comes to us with methamphetamine use disorder and opiate use disorder, the treatment outside of medication assisted treatment is generally going to look the same. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that to say like the treatment of anxiety is exactly like depression, but to your point, like the person is in treatment. And if a therapist is, I mean, doing their job, you're not going to stay on just anxiety, just Mm -hmm. anxiety, just anxiety. Mm -hmm. If a client surfaces in one session and says, I feel very hopeless, like something might shift. You're going to kind of, you're going to explore that. Yes. I totally agree. Like there isn't, if the therapist is doing their job, when something like that does come up, it is always, as far as I'm concerned, I, I mean, like, I think about even, like, the bigger gaps in diagnoses, the ones that don't have overlapping symptoms, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm here with you treating PTSD. Uh-oh, it just came out that you have... I'm trying to think of one that isn't co-occurring. Like a developmental de- disorder, like mm-hmm. a devel- uh, or like a neurological disorder. There's overlapping symptoms there, but like a developmental disorder is a little bit more like specific in treatment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, Oh, I'm going to refer you. I'm not going to say like, Oh, well I'm a trauma therapist. So let's, let's not like, I'm going to refer you to somebody who can help you with this other thing. Like, Mm -hmm. and those are the ones that don't have overlapping symptoms. Most of them have overlapping symptoms that I can have an overlapping approach to. If I'm treating you for trauma and you say to me like, Oh, also, I feel hopeless sometimes. I'm not going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's indicative of depression. Right. I'm not, I'm not here for that. Right. Like, let's, let's, let's table it. Like that's, we're going to handle it now. Absolutely. As like an overlapping co-occurring mm-hmm. treatment, just like it's a co-occurring diagnosis. Absolutely. Um, then in that vein, how do you think like with diagnoses as diagnoses evolve and as we kind of layer them and drop some, pick up more, workshop, whatever. How does treatment evolve? I would say... I would say that would that could possibly, like, mirror how we evolve with the diagnoses. Um... I mean, if you're, let's say you're in therapy for 20 years and for, or off and on or straight, doesn't matter. Um, and then for 10 of those years, you worked on a lot of, let's say trauma. And after those 10 years, you're finding you're not having as much emphasis in those traumas and you're not really assigning yourself to having active PTSD, I would imagine, I would hope a client would be able to kind of discuss that with their therapist and 
treatment. I mean, treatment could just like be like check-ins. Yeah. It could be, it could be moving from like therapy to just like support groups in the community, especially with like, um, substance use disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm answering your question. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that it, it, it might mirror that. Yeah. That I think exactly answers the question because I think that like my, my answer is similar. And also like, I think about as much as I am like, oh yeah, therapy is ongoing and therapy is a lifelong process. Does that need to be like, it does can be like a check-in with one therapist. And like, you know, I think about the times that I've been like, I see one therapist for so long and I'm like, yo, I really like your style. Mm -hmm. And also there's like a little silly little thing that popped up. I'm going to need this. And I'm going to drop down with you and go see this other person for a mm-hmm. hot minute. Oh, and then I'm going to, like, we're going to, like, kind of step in and out of the therapeutic process as mm-hmm. needed. And that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. It's allowed and it's encouraged. I'm not going to be hurt if you break up with me as a therapist. Like, And I think what you're describing is, like, more of an accurate depiction of what therapy looks like. Like, I think even, like, I'm guilty of this. Like, I want one therapist for the rest of my life. Cause I like routine and I, and I fear change and whatever mood, whatever else. But like, I think you're really describing like a more accurate depiction and honestly a more accurate depiction of what my therapeutic process has looked like with my own therapists in that, you know, with therapists moving or me moving or whatever, like we just find new therapists. So like that in and of itself is evolving as well mm-hmm. um yeah i think that like it makes me think of like the other piece is we have to remember as people the research in mental health is constant and like what i was diagnosed with at 15 if i now went to a therapist and said the same thing they'd probably diagnose me with something different just because research has evolved that's a good point and i don't know that like we consider that as people like when we're like oh we have all these 15 diagnoses no you only have the three Mm -hmm. it's just that the three weren't researched at the time you got Mm -hmm. diagnosed with one through eight right um but like it it hasn't ended like Mm -hmm. i guarantee we talk about this all the time like there are definitely things in the dsm-5 that i'm like "Mm, Mm -hmm. love you but let's consider that one let's let's reflect and i think what what you just said kind of reminded me of a situation I came with um, in contact with last week, which was I was reviewing a chart um, and I was noticing mental health diagnoses and what it looked like as their self-report substance use came to surface. Yeah. And That's how... That's an interesting one. And how I think it was, I don't really remember exactly um, what it was, but essentially, like, when the the drugs came into play, I saw a shift in what the practitioners were reporting and thus diagnosing. And it's like, that's also a big consideration as if, I mean the drugs that someone can ingest can obviously 
not necessarily, yes, pr- produce symptoms, but also present as symptoms. Yeah. And what does that That's look like when point. someone is sober? And how fair is it to assign someone with uh, schizoaffective mm-hmm. disorder? That's exactly what I was thinking. During Yeah, like during like uh, a manic episode or when they're, yes, episodic. Mm-hmm. That's a very, it makes me, exactly, I was going to say, like, psychotic spectrum disorders specifically. How many times have I been like, oh my, like, I've been in a place and I've called you into my office and said, look at this shit. They're (laughs) actively using meth and some motherfucker, no offense to the motherfuckers, but diagnosing with with bipolar blah. Yes, that's, yes. Manic episode. And I'm like, yeah, of course they're manic. They're actively high on methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. Like, and now you just slap this on a chart that's going to follow them their whole life. Like, well, and not only that, you're probably medicating them with mood stabilizers. Exactly. Not saying that they, they don't require pharmacology interventions, but like, do we wait until there's a baseline? Yeah. Do like, is there some level of like, Hey, it's, like, hard because, like, I totally... Yes, if they are having... If they do... Are having an episode of mania, and it is bipolar disorder, I would love to treat that as soon as possible so mm-hmm. that the client can not be suffering. Sure. And is there some amount of, like, hey, let's pause on the bipolar disorder until we can see them sober... Or at a baseline, and then we can start with, like, okay, this this really truly is mania, mm-hmm. or it really truly was somebody high on meth. Like, Absolutely. And schizoaffective is such a, is another really great example of that, of, like, that's a huge thing to treat, where it's, mm-hmm. like, somebody comes in, again, like, substances can produce and prompt symptom appearance, and there is, like, this, I think there's, um... Like, a misconception that, like, substances bring out schizophrenia or schizoaffective that was already there. And that's just not true. Like, people who do not have schizoaffective disorder may have schizoaffective symptoms when they are using a substance. Mm -hmm. And, like, to slap a label that's going to follow them and medicate them onto a chart, like, their whole life is so damaging, I Mm -hmm. think. And, like, can be really, really dangerous. And I just, like, think about, like, if... At some, in some places, if I were to print off a list of diagnoses and throw it, like, and be like, this is all of yours, there were times where I looked at charts and I was like, why are there 40 of these? Mm -hmm. And, like, a lot of it was, like, PTSD, chronic, PTSD, Mm -hmm. acute, PTSD, unspecified. That can all be put into one diagnosis, PTSD. But if, like, you're a client and you're not knowing that, that's three fucking diagnoses that you've been diagnosed with in the past X amount of years. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, there's three. And then we get into, like, major depressive disorder without psychotic features, major depressive disorder with major depressive disorders unspecified. There's just like all these criteria Mm -hmm. that like really, truly you could diagnose somebody with all of the above. Mm -hmm. And if not, like if you just look at the list, you're just like, well shit, there's 35, not 35 ICD codes on this list. I must be real super fucked. Like Mm -hmm. here we are in like, we like, (laughs) The goal is that a practitioner is, like, really using, like, especially for, you know, schizo, uh, schizophrenia, (laughs) (laughs) schizophrenic disorders, um, 
you know, really like looking at the criteria and like working with this client over time. But <sighs> sometimes I don't see that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I mean, I think to treat someone for that disorder, a lot of time needs to be spent with that person. And sometimes our clients are just going to, um, the crisis center mm-hmm. A- and, it you know, quick, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then like, boom. And that's the end of it. Like- that's the end of it. Here's this diagnosis. Here's this medication that might not even be right for you. Follow up with this provider. And if they're let's not hope and pray that you actually let's do that. Hope and pray. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, I don't know. It's just like due diligence there is just so hard to like, yeah, like crisis centers where it's like, well, what is the alternative? And is there an alternative where we just say like, hey, can we table it on like hyper diagnosing people with Mm -hmm. these gigantic things to carry and things that, um, yeah, let's hope and pray you follow up with somebody that's going to say, whoa, 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 I don't know about that one. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, actually that is the one, but we can change the medication or whatever it is, right? It's just... Yeah, it's complicated. Any other, um, yeah, any other final thoughts on that? I think just, you know, that we're just going to keep the dialogue going. And yeah. I think it's that's all this is, is just having a conversation about the color gray. <laughs> I think that, like, yeah, it, like, sucks to talk about how sucky this whole thing is. And also I think that there is, like, A, there's a lot of hope because I think we have evolved into an era where clinicians ourselves and others, we, we have proof now, dude, these cats think I don't feed them. Um, (laughs) We have proof that ourselves and other clinicians aren't just walking around saying like, my client has this. And then like, that's the end of conversation. Like Mm -hmm. we're having consults and staffings and conversations and dialogues with ourselves and others and clients about like, Hey, how do, how do mental health diagnoses evolve? And there's research happening and there's, I mean, I think a really, really positive social movement in terms of taking away stigma, which I think Mm -hmm. will eventually also take away from this phenomena. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's super powerful. And I think, I guess my message is like to continue the dialogue and also for like as a client, I think that my best move ever was to realize, to listen to you and realize like, oh, if I'm being treated, I'm being treated. I don't have to hold all these things. Like it's okay. I can, I'm being treated. There doesn't have to be this like 15 pound bag of diagnoses on my back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's all I have. I'm never good at ending things. I was just talking to River about this the other night. Like, and I think that that's like the hallmark of like a podcast is like, they kind of just like, <laughs> bye, I guess. It's like a voicemail. Like, do you say bye? Do I you think... say bye on voicemails? Yeah, but it's always probably awkward. Yeah. I don't leave a, a, a sexy voicemail anymore. <laughs> Especially if it's someone like a doctor or someone, I'm just like, okay, bye. This is Rachel. Uh, it's always stupid. I'm definitely leaving pretty sexy voicemails for my doctor. So <laughs> not anybody else, but my doctor is like a pretty, they get the, the real, bye now. Hope to hear from you soon. Yeah. <laughs> because I do not know how to end it. <laughs> do you really not? No. Oh, I thought you meant like figuratively speaking, like 
you don't know how to end it. Like, no, I know how to end it. Like in the <laughs> program, I don't know how to. Yeah, I don't know how to. S- Bye. Bye. <laughs>